Well, I hope everyone's feeling good today. We are getting ready for uh, Easter service here in a couple of weeks. Easter is going to be here on the 27th of March. Uh, this Easter, we're going to gather and we're going to have a sermon series starting off called Rise, or Risen, actually called Risen. And it's going to be about our risen king. And so we are looking forward to welcoming you guys here. We're going to have a lot of things afterwards going on over at the uh, back lot over here. We're going to have jump houses, barbecue, games. And so basically, we want all hands on deck for that. If you're able to be here for Easter and help us serve in Easter, we want that. If you have your kids, bring your kids over. Listen, Easter is a great time to invite someone. In the church area, in the church realm, we have what we call CEO Christians. A CEO Christian is someone that goes to Christmas and Easter only. Get it? CEO Christian. And so this might be the only chance that you have to actually invite someone who normally probably wouldn't go to church, but because it's Easter, they feel like, oh, this is what you do on Easter. You go to church on Easter. So bring them over here on Easter. I promise that it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a a great message and even a bigger party afterwards. So uh, please come over for that as well. Um, If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bibles, there's probably one under your chair somewhere. You can go ahead and take that home with you as a gift from us to you. Uh, you can go ahead and take that. Um, also, the uh, scripture should be on the screen behind me. Um, but if you're one of those tech-savvy people and you're a Facebookaholic, and I know you are because I see your post, you can go on the uh, Facebook page for Impact City Church, and the uh, scriptures have posted on there uh, earlier today. So for the past three weeks... We have been looking and going through the journey to the cross. We've been talking about Jesus and his journey going to the cross. And so for the past few weeks, we've seen um, a couple of things kind of coming forward from this scripture and from this text. Uh, The first thing we've seen, we saw a couple of weeks ago, we've seen Jesus being betrayed by all of his followers. He was being betrayed by some of his followers. You know, uh, Judas comes up and he says, that he is going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is, is, is going, he's doing good, and he knows Judas is going to betray him, but Judas still chooses to betray Jesus. So that's the start of the journey. That's the, that's the, the, the tipping point, if you will, of, of the bowl. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that starts everything off, is, is uh, Judas betraying Jesus in that moment. And then Jesus goes over to a garden to pray. And Judas comes up and he betrays him with a kiss on his cheek. And the guards come and they arrest Jesus. We saw him after he was arrested, actually taken over to this, this courtyard and stand before a council of elders and chief priests and, uh, and the scribes of the church, of the local church. And he stood before them and they were sending accusations to, about Jesus. They were saying that all these things that he was doing, which were lies, but they had to lie to in order to convict Jesus. Have you ever been innocent of something? Like if you ever like, you know, broke in your mom's vase and then your brother's like, no, he did it when actually your brother did it. That's that but worse. You know what I mean? So Jesus was standing before trial and he was standing accused and condemned in our place. We learned that week that we're the ones that should be there on trial because rightfully we are guilty. We'll talk about that a little bit more as the sermon comes on. Then last week, we saw one of Jesus' most dedicated followers totally deny him three times. His homie, his, his buddy, his best friend, the, the guy that, that, he, that he ran with, the guy that was there with everything. We said that Peter 
was probably one of the most dedicated disciples. He was within the, the inner three disciples that Jesus had. This is the guy that, that Jesus would, would take aside and actually spend more time with. One of the three disciples. And this one guy was so dedicated, so devoted, so connected to Jesus. Yet, whenever times got hard and all hope seemed lost, he denied Jesus as well. And we learned that us as followers of Christ, I don't care how good of a follower you are. I don't care how devoted you are. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to be tempted to deny Jesus and do something else instead. Whether you sacrifice on a relationship because you want to worship that person more than worship Jesus, whether you sacrifice on your finances because you don't trust God enough to trust him with your finances, whether you sacrifice something with an addiction or with a, a struggle, and you say, God, I, I don't really believe that you can overcome this, and so I'm going to just, you know, just kind of dwell in it and, and, and continue to do it. But there's going to be times in our life where we will deny Jesus. We said that there's going to be times of hardship and suffering, and it's in those moments that it's easy to turn to something else or someone else versus Jesus. This is the sad reality that, that you know, many people go through. The sad reality that, that, that they go through the loss of a loved one or maybe they get divorced or separated. They go through a really terrible, ugly, nasty breakup and they, instead of running to the arms of Jesus, they run to the arms of the next person who just gives them affection. And sadly, that person is, is as awesome as that person might be, they're flawed. And we learn that we are all susceptible to do the same thing Peter does. Is when everything is going good, it's good to worship Jesus. But when, as soon as everything turns bad, it's easy to turn away from Jesus and that's what we learned about last week. Now today, as we get closer to Easter, we're going to see Jesus actually begin the punishment that he was given, the punishment for his sentence. But before that, we're going to see the crowd of Jewish people have a choice between him or a guy named Barabbas. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. It says, And as soon as it was morning, the elders... And the chief priest, the chief priest held a consul, cons, uh, consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus. That means they tied him up. They bound him and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, you have said so. Which I, I just think is totally cool, by the way. Like, you know, it's totally an awesome thing. Like Jesus is standing before it and they're like, are, are you the king of the Jews? He's like, that's what you say. It's totally, it's like totally straight up in your face. That is, that is thug life right there. And so he says, if you say so, right? And the chief priests accused him of many things. That means all the lies that the chief priests had, they brought with him. Like, These are all the things that he is doing wrong, Pilate. They accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again. He says, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. Now, here in the presence of Pilate, Jesus does not defend himself at all. He stands before Pilate silent. If anything, he actually um, accepts the accusation that he is the Son of God. If that's what you say I am, then that's who I am. He actually stands there and does nothing to defend himself, just like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He does not defend himself. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. I'm Hispanic, and so we do a lot of cabrito, you know, and, and, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what it means. But that goat never sees it coming. 
You know what I mean? Like straight up. And so Jesus, just like an innocent lamb being led to the slaughter, does not defend himself. Jesus does not defend himself. It's the fulfillment of what the uh, prophet Isaiah said. He said that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before the shears, he is silent, and he opened not his mouth. He didn't even bother. He knew what was coming, and he welcomed it with awesome open arms. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 6. Now at the feast he used now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they asked. So Pilate was accustomed to letting go one of the prisoners that was locked up in jail. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Okay, remember the name Barabbas. There was a man in there called Barabbas for murder. And then in verse 8 says, And the crowd came up and they begged and they asked Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he asked them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Because he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. He, see, Pilate wasn't dumb. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that Jesus was not there for good reasons. He knew that it was because of some twisted, dirty, um, messed up reasons of the, uh, the Jewish council. So he gives him a chance. Do you want me to release this guy? He hasn't done anything. Verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. That means that they wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out even more, crucify him. This is sadly ironic in a way. Because just a week earlier, as Jesus rode in on the back of a donkey, the same people who are now yelling, crucify him, were once yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And these same people who are so for Jesus, just a week earlier, have changed their tune, and now they are calling for his death. That's weird. We tend to do the same thing, though. We go through moments where at one moment we are so on fire for Jesus and then a week later we're so against him. And you're like, I never said crucify Jesus. But when we sin, we do. When we sin, we say crucify him. I'd rather pick this other than Jesus. So we see a lot of reflection of ourselves in there. Verse 15, let's keep going. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releases for them Barabbas. Let me just stop right there. When you choose to go with the crowd, you will never choose Jesus. Truth in there. When you choose to go with the crowd, you will never choose Jesus. Jesus never went with the crowd. The whole crowd was following Jesus just a couple of verses earlier, a couple of chapters earlier. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and then follow me. The cost of following Jesus is high. It is everything that you are. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But if you want to follow Jesus, you will not be a people pleaser. Let me say that again. If you want to follow Jesus, you will not be a people pleaser. Following Jesus is not a fancy, awesome thing to do. So Pilate, wishing to please the crowd versus wishing to do what is right, decides to allow Barabbas 
to be released. So he releases the murderer, the guilty one, Barabbas. And he goes on to say this in verse 15. It says, and having scourged Jesus. That means that he was beaten severely. He was beaten severely with a multi-lashed whip containing both pieces of bone and metal. It's called the cat of nine tails. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that, that one scene is very vivid, very, very raw, very real. And what they would do is they would strap the prisoner around this altar and they would strap his hands down to where he couldn't move. They would strip him of his garments and they would take this lashing and they would hit his back and rip his flesh. Terrible, terrible thing. They had him scourged, and they delivered him over to be crucified. Now, what we are seeing here is the great exchange, is what we call the glorious exchange, actually, the glorious exchange. Because in this moment, we witness a perfect, sinless, innocent Jesus step into the place of a wicked, evil, guilty man. It doesn't make sense. But it happens. It is the reflection of what happens to you and to me when we surrender our life over to Jesus. The great exchange in our life is when we choose to follow Jesus and we offer him ourselves, our guilty, sinfulness, our dirtiness, all of the things that we have done wrong. We say, Jesus, this is my life. It is not perfect compared to your glory. It is far from perfect. Here it is. And what does he give us? He gives us all of himself for free. For free it is the glorious exchange. Isn't it beautiful, church? I mean, let's just take a moment to marvel in that for a moment. The beautiful exchange. Let me clarify something. And I'm not too sure I can say this enough in church. But just like Barabbas, we too have been sentenced to death for what we do. Just like Barabbas, we are guilty of all the things that we do. But Jesus has stepped into our place and taken our place instead. And he has set us free the way Barabbas was set free. I mean, you ever thought about that? We look at Barabbas and we, we think this guy is a maniac. This guy is a murderer. This guy has done wicked, evil things. And those are the things that they know he has done. He might have done even more evil and wicked things. We don't even know, okay? He might even be convicted of other things. But yet, Jesus replaced him if jesus can replace a murderer and a wicked evil man he can surely replace some of us in fact he can replace all of us so what does that mean for you and me is that now we are to live if we have if you have surrendered to jesus we are to live now not for our own selfishness but rather everything that we do we do it in honor and worship for the one who gave us everything it's simple when you buy something, when you get something, you honor that person. You, you, you're in debt to that person. Everything in your life, you owe it to God. Everything. You're like, well, I don't have anything to give. No, you have so much to give. You're like, I am, I am dirty. I am wicked. I do so many bad things. No, you are beautiful in the eyes of God. And when he has given you glory and when he has given you grace, when he has showered you in that, you are no longer bound by what you were. You are now known by who he is and what he has done. 
So everything in your life, you owe it to God. Your marriage, you owe it to God. Your relationships, you owe it to God. Your finances, your struggles, your worries, your good times, your bad times, your job, your hobbies, your life. Everything belongs to God. Everything should go through God and everything should be honorable to God. It's not that easy, though. The way you live, the way you act, and the way you love, everything belongs to God because he has stepped out. He has sent his son Jesus to step into our place and pay the price for the debt that we owe. And what was that price? But Jesus endured so much pain and suffering. He endured so much pain and suffering for me and you. Let's read and see what that pain and suffering looked like. Verse 16 said, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. Like, seriously, the whole battalion? Like, everyone? Like, you know, like, you know did, can it have just been done with like two guys? But no, they, they called everyone. The whole people came over. The whole group of people came over. And they called everyone to come to Jesus. And verse 13 says that, And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on him and they began to salute him and say hail king of the jews what they were doing was they were mocking him they were mocking him they were messing around with him hail king of the jews and they were sticking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him and when they were done and when they had mocked him they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. I laughed because I, I remember one time a pastor said, hey, Jesus was rich. He had a purple cloak that man presented honor and glory. I'm like, you did not read your Bible very well because he was really messed up in this moment. God sent Jesus to do whatever it was that we could not do. He sent Jesus to do what we never could do, which was to pay the price of our sins and to suffer what we deserve to suffer. He paid the price for our sins and he took the suffering that we deserve. Yet, pain is not the only path for Jesus. It's also a path for his followers like me and you. Pain and suffering comes in our life. While Jesus at the ultimate level paid and suffered for in our place, on a whole nother level, Jesus' suffering blazes a trail for us to follow him through. Okay? Uh, don't believe me? First, uh, actually, uh, Philippians 1.29 says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Still don't believe me? First Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice in so far as you are to share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Make no mistake about it. Jesus allows us to endure and go through hard times and sufferings. He does. It happens. He allows us to go through that. We said last week that it is in times like these that our faith is actually built. And that's why he does it. He allows us to go through trials and and, and things in our life because it builds up our faith. Because it is easy to follow God when things are going good. But it is the real test to follow God when things are not going good. Uh, This past week, I think it was was Friday night. um, We was up here at the church. I was working on my sermon. I got a phone call. 
from Sarah. And she goes, babe, 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 uh, uh, someone just egged our house. And I was like, what? Like, for real? And so I go up to the house, right? And, like, on the front porch, there's all this broken eggs. And that's why we're not doing missional seeds in my house because it stinks like rotten eggs. And so, no, that's not true. But there's, like, all these eggs on the door, right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, these little, mm, you know, like, who did this, you know? And I went by the street, and there were some broken eggs by the street. And I started thinking, these guys threw it from the car, which, by the way, if you know where my house is at, that's pretty impressive. Like, I'm not even mad about that. You know, I'm like, that was actually pretty good, you know, you know to, to, to hit it right on the door, you know. But it messed up our Dallas Cowboy Reef. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you know how hard that is for me. And so it was hard. But really, you know what? I felt attacked. Like, I really did feel attacked, which is a good thing. Because I always say when you're being attacked, it's because you pose a threat to something great. And we're going into Easter, and I tell this to my church every year. Well, as we go into Easter, as we go into holidays, as we go into a major outreach, get ready because you're going to be attacked. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be drawn away from what matters most, which is the mission of the church. And so I felt like that. I was like, man, what's going on? Like we're getting ready to have this big Easter thing. We just got into, uh, we just joined with Crossroads and now we're one church and everything's going good. And this is happening to me. But I started thinking that I actually repented right there, right? I said, it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't suffering. Now, you might ask Sarah, and she might say something differently because she had to scrub it off the other day with a Mr. Clean Eraser, you know. But in our lives, we're going to go through some type of suffering. We're going to go through some type of suffering in our lives. It may be as simple as some rotten eggs in your front door, or it may be as complex as losing a loved one. It may come in the form of you being made fun of at work or at school and your family, for sticking up for your Christian values, or in some cases it may come in the form of you dying because you stood up for your Christian values. As I was writing this, I couldn't help but think about the persecuted Christians overseas and all over the world. Men and women and children who choose not to deny Christ in the face of evil and in return receive lashings and beatings, jail time, or even murdered and killed. So this begs the question, and this is a question I want us to kind of wrestle with today. If Christ allows us to suffer, then how do we endure these times of suffering? Like if Christ says, I'm going to allow you to, to go through this, it's going to build you up. You're going to be built through this time of suffering. He has to give us ways to endure this suffering. He doesn't give us anything that we cannot get through without him. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to just kind of write down these three truths as we finish start wrapping this up about suffering that will help you endure such seasons of your lives. Because listen, it's coming. There's coming a day where you will go through suffering. Or you've been through suffering already. And you're like, Felix, you always talk about suffering. And I was telling the guys this morning, I was like, I feel like God is like, these last just few chapters, it's like, it's what he keeps going back to. And I don't know what he's preparing our hearts for. I don't know what season of life you're in. I don't know what you're going through. But he is preparing something in your life to endure something. And I think it's important for us to listen. Okay, because listen, if we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. So we have to be ready for everything. So the first truth about suffering is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first truth is that we become more grateful for our salvation through suffering. So when you're going through suffering, we become more grateful for the salvation that we have. 
We do this by being reminded that Jesus' sacrificial atonement on our behalf is unique and secures our reconciliation back to God. It means that when we're going through suffering, we can be sure and understand that Jesus has endured the same suffering. He has endured all the hard times. And because he has endured that, then we know that our salvation is secure because of what he has been through. And that should give us a lot of gratefulness on that behalf. The funny thing about suffering here on earth is that you can never outsuffer Jesus and what he went through here on earth. He endured an eternal suffering for us. He fought death and punched him in the face and came back and held the uh, keys to life. And he did a great job of that and he did it for us. Now that being said, every time that we go through something, we should be reminded of how great Jesus is. And as you think about that, you really start to let it sink into your life. You really start to be grateful for what he has done for you. I know for me, there was no greater reminder of my place in this world as thinking about Jesus on the cross for me. When I start to puff myself up, I think about Jesus on the cross. When I start to think that everything is going good, I think about Jesus on the cross. When I start to go through bad times and and, and stuff happens in my life, I think about Jesus on the cross. And it reminds me that we have a God who has sent his son to earth to live and to die for us to have everlasting life. The second thing we're taking notes is that we need to humbly acknowledge that God's people are being purified through the suffering. That we're being purified through the trials and the suffering. We're purified through suffering so that we may also be known and better reflect our Savior. I know I like to think about like a goldsmith when I reflect on this. You know, a goldsmith goes around and he gathers all the golden rocks and stuff from the mines and the rivers and the, and the creeks and everything. And he puts all these gold rocks into a melting pot. And he boils this pot and he puts it on the fire and the flames surround the pot. It gets hot. It starts to melt. And all the rock turns into molten, golden, you know, substance, goo stuff, right? And then he takes that, that molten metal and he forms it into a piece of jewelry, or he forms it into like a block or a brick to, to trade or sell with. It's the same thing with us and God. God is our goldsmith. God is, is going around and he finds us in the rough. He finds us in the creeks. He finds us in the dirtiest, darkest places. And he brings us out of those places. And when he sees us, we are nothing of beautifulness. We don't look pretty. We're just a little rock. But he takes us and through suffering and trials, he accepts us and he puts us into those moments, the suffering is represented as the pot and the trials, the fire. And while we're in there, we are being made into the better image of Christ. We are being transformed into something useful. We are being made into something great, something of power, something that he can actually use for the furtherment of his kingdom. And while we're in this fire, it might be hard to see what is going on, right? But you have to trust him. You have to trust the fact that God has has something going on for you. And that brings me to the third point here. Is that we have to trust God with the suffering. We have to trust him in times that are low. Times that are dark. Times that are sad. We can trust him because he gave us everything that was precious to him. That he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And if he's willing to do that, he's willing to give us so much more. And even though we might be in the middle of a suffering, of an inferno, in the fiery melting pot, we can know that we are in his hands and we are still his. Look with me at Romans 8, 31. 
Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this. Paul is talking about a future glory in heaven to the church in Rome. He's talking about all the great things that are to come in heaven. He says this in verse 31. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Y'all read that? Y'all say that with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for all, us, all of us, won't he also give us everything else? It means that no matter how bad it gets in your suffering, no matter how bad your life gets, I don't care if you're jobless, I don't care if you're homeless, I don't care if you're divorced, if you feel unloved, if you feel rejected by family, if you feel rejected by the world or whatever, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how messed up it gets, you can be sure and confident of this one thing, that even though it gets really bad here on earth, at the end, you still get Jesus. And Jesus is Come on, guys. Jesus is better. Some of you guys are like, I don't even know that. Like, we have a saying in church here. We say Jesus is better. It's kind of our anthem. Everything we do, everything we go through, Jesus is better. We still get Jesus at the end. We can trust him that even though we might be going through trials and tribulations, even though we might be going through something hard in life, at the end, we still get Jesus. And that is far better than anything here on earth. Listen, our life here is temporary. You're lucky to live 100 years. You're, some of us are lucky to live 80 years. And so that is a minute little micro bit of your life compared to eternity in heaven with him. So I want you to think about this. Are we willing to live, for, uh, live all out for Jesus now with the short breath of life we have? So that later in eternity, we can spend eternity with him. Or are we going to waste everything we have in our short, minute time here on earth and never spend eternity with him? I think so much about people who who go overseas, and I think so much about those who just surrender all to Jesus. You know, we have families here who go overseas, and, and we have families who are fixing to do far greater, more dangerous things in this world. And I I can't help but envy them because of their reckless abandon for Christ. David Platt said one time in a conference, he said that there was a family in his church that was actually going over to India and and, and the Middle East and those areas over there. They were sending families out there. And the the father came up in front of the church with his young wife and, and his two young daughters, right? And they were like, aren't you afraid? Like, don't you know what's over there? Aren't you afraid of what's to happen? You're in so much danger over there. And he said, you know what? The father said, we're in far more danger of being safe here than we are over there. Over there, we are doing what God wants us to do. Over here, we're neglecting what God wants us to do. You might not be called to missions, but we are all called to live for Christ. And at some point in our lives, we will endure some type of suffering. We will endure some type of trial. We will endure some type of fire in our lives. And the true testimony is how you come back from that. Are you going to be like Peter and deny Jesus in that moment? Are you going to be obedient? And are you going to be loving and patient with the process and see what happens on the other side? 
The next time your life rolls into a season of suffering, remember that Jesus has endured more suffering for you than you can ever imagine. And he did that so that you can have eternity. And I'll just be straight up, you'd be a fool not to take that offer. So be grateful for your salvation. Enjoy the time of the purification of the suffering. And give joy through the process. And trust God through it all. I'll end with this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to give you love and give you praise and give you thanks. But you have sent your son to die on the cross for us. You have sent him to be bruised and beaten for us. You have sent him to be afflicted, condemned, mocked, humiliated for us. And Lord, while you may not uh, require us to, to, you may have done that for us, we still go through suffering at times in this world. And we just give praise and thanks for what you're doing. Give praise and thanks to the fact that you are taking us to a whole nother level. Lord, may, uh, may you just be revealed to us in these moments, in these times. May we be reminded of how awesome you are. Even through the suffering, even through the pain, even through the hard times, you are still better. That Jesus, you are better than anything in our lives. May we just learn to love you and trust you through those times. May we pursue you like a, like a love-struck bride. In this beautiful marriage between the bride and the groom, us and you. And church, we're just here today. May we just take a moment to just kind of, kind of just reflect on our own hearts. And maybe we've done this. Maybe we, maybe we have, maybe we have pushed Jesus away. Maybe we have been like Peter, like we said last week. Maybe we have denied him a few times. Maybe we, maybe this is the time for us to come back. Maybe we need to repent right now. And say, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on in my heart right now, but you are stirring in it. I want to be open to that. And we just have this moment of repentance. Or maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you walked in here and maybe you're thinking, I, I don't really believe in all this God mumbo-jumbo. This is just a crutch. But maybe God's revealing something to you. that It's a beautiful crutch that you lean on. That he lifts you up when you are down. And that is you today. Maybe you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Christian, I just ask that that is you today. Will you make that declaration in your heart today? Will you just say, Lord, I need you. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me. I want to accept your grace, accept your glory, accept all that you have offered, all that you have given, and I want you to come into my life and wipe it clean. I want to be released free from the trials that I am about to endure for eternity. And may you step into my place, Lord, the way you did Barabbas. May you save a wrecked soul like me. Lord, may you just grant us that today. Christian, if that is you with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you just raise your hand. If you want to just get surrendered to Jesus right now, you just do that. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful, glorious exchange. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for everyone in it. May we be a church of love. May we be a church of grace. May we be a church that endures times together. May we be a community that grows closer together through the, through the life that we live on mission for this great city of Corpus Christi, Texas. 
Lord, may you continue to grow in us a passion for you that can never be quenched. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's worship one more time.